0: Open up your Bibles to John 14, verse number 1. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. What page is say Brother friend John chapter 14, verse number 1. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I a lot of times I've read that passage and the thought that went through my mind was Lord, that's a lot to ask. Amen. A lot of things that trouble me. And sometimes it's just I mean, sometimes it's big things that are far away that are beyond my control. Like, I would say that probably most most rational thinking people are, are troubled by what they're seeing in the Middle East right now. Because we all know that very, very easily that could spill over and become not a local conflict, but a world war. We, we, we've maybe not been around. I wasn't around, but we've studied our history. We've seen similar instances where small things grow bigger and bigger and dominoes begin to fall and then it's not too long before millions of lives begin to fall. People that we know. People that we were related to. People that we never got to meet because they never made it back. So you sit down and you watch the news and you see some of the things that you see and you hear these words, let not your heart be troubled and you think, Lord, that's that's a big ask right now. And, and, it, and that, that's just stuff like that. But Maybe don't even turn your TV on. You go, man, I just I don't I don't I don't even want to see it because it's just gonna get me upset and I don't want to worry about it. But you live in a world where you bump up against things all the time. Maybe you encounter, maybe it's through your children or your grandchildren, maybe even just nieces and nephews, maybe even just kids from church. And and you hear that they're being exposed to things that are so shocking that you don't even know how to react to it. I mean, to to say offended is not even a strong enough word. It's almost like living in a bizarro world. I have an 18-month-old grandson. I'm not worried about me. But I worry about the world that he'll grow up in wherein most people, or at least a large number of people, have abandoned the basic principles that have governed civilized society as long as there has been civilized society basic understandings of right and wrong and truth and error and things that everybody has just kind of always taken as fact I mean it's just the way nobody questions it. it it's so ingrained that it's not even worth talking about and it seems almost in just the flash of a, a, a bolt of lightning, everything has been turned upside down and up is down and day is night and bitter is sweet, to use the language of Jeremiah, who said, woe unto those who call light dark and dark light, those who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. In other words, those who inverse everything as God has established it. And, and I live in a world where I see this. And it troubles them. Not for me, but for the life that the impact it's going to have on people that I care about who come after me. We're probably going to have to deal with the with the consequences of throwing all of our values out the window. It'll come at a cost. Sometimes it's things more local. I know tonight you mentioned family in this community that's grieving. Even if you didn't know the family at all, just reading a news story and knowing that somebody somewhere, a mother, a father, a grandparents, sisters, brothers, people, are hurting right now. And as a human, you don't have to know a person to feel pain when you see other humans suffering. I mean, it can be a complete stranger. How many times have, have you been sitting in your yard doing some yard work and you see the, the air evac helicopter fly over and you have that thought, somebody somewhere is having the worst day of their life right now. And you just kind of, I don't know if you like me, you just kind of say a little prayer. Lord, help those people. Wednesday will be two weeks since we were those people. I was at work, got a call from my mother. My dad was having chest pains, was at the emergency room. By the time I got there, they said that the helicopter was, was in route. A lot to be grateful for tonight, but Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled was tough on that day. That was a hard day to not be troubled. About a year ago, right now, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. It was hard not to be troubled that day. There was a Christmas that I visited my son in jail. Hard not to be troubled that day. So when I read Jesus saying, let not your heart be troubled, sometimes that's a lot to ask of us. And yet it does. Now, to really appreciate the gravity of what he's saying, we really kind of need to go back and put ourselves in that room that night where he says this. Because this isn't just a sermon Jesus preached one day. He's not just, you know, i got to teach these people some good truth here, so I'm going to teach them, you know, let not your heart be troubled. This is a meal that Jesus is eating with his closest friends and family. I mean, the people who literally have abandoned everything, gave up everything just to follow him every day of their lives. So these are the people who love him the most, that spent the most time with him, who trust in him, rely on him. And listen, these these folks can't even sometimes fix lunch without his help, right? They, they, they trust in him for everything. There's an occasion where they've got this big group of people and they're hungry. Not just hungry, by the way. If you read John's account, some of these people were beginning to pass out. They weren't, I mean, it's not like they're just like, well, oh, I sure could use you something to eat right now. What about you? These people haven't eaten in a long time. They're out in the heat, and you're having people that are falling mm-hmm. out. You ever seen someone pass out because, you know, maybe their blood sugar dropped or something like that? I don't know if that's some of the situation, but all I know is These people aren't just hungry. These people are in real need of food. The disciples don't know what to do. So they just bring Jesus what they have. We've got some fish and we've got some bread. And they know it's not enough. Jesus solves the problem. That's what Jesus always does. We bring Jesus our meager little offerings of whatever we've got. You know, just a few a few fish and a few pieces of bread. But, Lord, this is all we've got. This is the best that we can do. And Jesus says, that's good enough. I don't need you to do everything. I need you to trust that I can do everything. And so bring me what you have. And he solves the problem. They're in a boat one night. Now keep in mind, we know at least four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, are seasoned fishermen. These, these guys have probably been on the deck of a boat as long as they've been able to stand. And they're out in a boat one night and a storm is raging. Now, Jesus is over there asleep. I always get tickled at that. Jesus is just sleeping through the storm. And they're so afraid, they wake him up. And this is what they say. Do you not care that we're going to die? That's how scared they are. Now, when I lived in Florida, we had one of our members. He owned a uh, about a thirty foot deep water fishing boat. And one day I went out with him and one of our elders and another one of the retired fellas there. We went out. Now, when I say we went out, you got to understand something. We were twenty three miles out into the Gulf of Mexico. No land. Every direction you look, you no. just see water. That's no. it, water. No land. And a storm blew up. No. And the old fellow whose boat it was, I, mean, I think he was 82 years old, and he had literally, he'd spent his entire life on the water. He was looking at the sky and he told us, reel them in, we're going home. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, you know, if there's a nice day, calm waters. Well, let me put it this way. It took us twice as long to get back to shore as it took us to get out because the waves were so bad and the wind was so bad. Oh, and did I forget to mention that he forgot to to put the plug in before he got in? We're taking on water. Nice. He didn't tell me that when we got to land. I didn't know that.
1: I didn't think I was going to die, but I'm going to tell you what:
0: it wasn't comfortable. I don't know how bad this storm was, but I know it was bad enough that four men. Who had spent their whole lives out on the water, probably been through a few storms themselves, think they're gonna die. In other words, they're pretty troubled. Right. Jesus is just sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so they wake him up and he said, Don't you care that we're gonna die? And he asked them, Where is your faith? What, what, why are you doubting? What are you worried about? Do you not see that I'm here? What are you afraid of? And he rebukes the wind and the waves and everything stops and everything's fine. And we could go on and on and on all night with story after story after story where these folks encountered these problems that were too big for them. They came into situations where they are very, very troubled and for Jesus, he doesn't even break a sweat. They had a short memory. and that's true. I do too. <laughs> I'll bring it back up here in a minute. Mm-hmm. So these are the people who have depended on Jesus for everything for the last three years. In fact, there was one occasion where there was a bunch of people that stopped following Jesus. And so he turns to these men and he asks them a question. He said, are you going to go away also? Peter's one who speaks up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the word of eternal life. Yes. There is nowhere else. There is no plan B. There is no alternative. It's you or it's nothing. Now, here's why all of that is important. Because you know the relationship, you know the backstory, you know the commitment, you know the dependence, you know how much they've relied on Jesus for everything, and now Jesus looks at them and he tells them, "Tomorrow I'm going away and I'm going to be killed." Now let's back up and say that a different. I'm going to die tomorrow. That's what he's just said to me. I've had somebody say that to me, not tomorrow, but I've had somebody I love tell me they've done everything they can do. There's no more surgeries, there's no more treatments. They told me I'm going to die. I've got about six weeks to live to. I know what it's like to be in a room with somebody that I love dearly and then look me in the eye and say, I'm not going to be around for the holidays. And I bet some of you have to. Now I'm not trying to pick at a wound. I'm really not. But I'm saying this for a reason. I want you to go back to that moment And the way that you felt when you heard those words and then you can understand where these guys are on this particular night because they just heard the same thing except for them it's not six to twelve months or six weeks to ten weeks for them it's tomorrow we even call this the last supper this is the last Meal. How many times do you think they've ate with Jesus over the last three years? I would say this. Every time they've ate, probably. Probably, every time. Every time they've ate. You got anybody that you'd give your right arm if you could go back and sit at their dinner table one more time? Yes, sir. My big mama. I probably, even still to this day, she's been gone for 20 years. This day, I've probably eaten more meals at her dinner table than any other dinner table. (laughs) And she's been gone for 20 years. Just about every day of my life, I eat her dinner table. Now, it's not the table that I miss. It's the one who set the table. Amen. I'd love to sit at that table again and eat with her one more time. Chocolate gravy and homemade biscuits. This is the last meal I where Jesus sets the table. Where they can look at the head, where they can look across, and there he is. Chances are we know that feeling. We 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 can we can feel what they feel. We can sit in their seat, not with Jesus, but with somebody that we love with all of our hearts, someone that, that was the whole world to us, somebody that we, we look forward to seeing every day. So we We can tap into that feeling now for just one more minute. Sit in that feeling and feel that grief, Mm -hmm. that sadness, that pain, that fear, all of that. And now hear him say again, let not your heart be troubled. How hard it would be in that moment to not have not just your heart, but your head, your feet, your big toe, your elbow, every part of your body troubled. Now, I want say this. If it was the case that this was a commandment, this probably would be the hardest commandment in the Bible. There's some tough ones in there. Now, one the one thing that you know, the Lord tells us not to do is not to speak evil of one another. I don't know why that's so hard, but that's hard for us to do. Probably because it just makes us feel like we're better. If, we, if I say you're worse, and somehow that makes me feel like I'm better. So we have a tendency to speak evil to people. Speak, you know, bad about them, talk bad about them, talk about them behind their back. That's, that's something the humans just seem to struggle with. I don't know why. But that's a tough one. Love your enemy. That's a tough one. It seems like our compulsion is, when somebody does us wrong, we want to get them back somebody does something to us, we want to teach them a lesson. We want to put them in their place. It's just instinctive. So the idea of loving your enemy and doing good to those who hate you, that's not an easy commandment to obey. But I'm telling you that's a cakewalk compared to let not your heart be troubled. Because most of my life I'm not dealing with people who hate me. That's a pretty rare occurrence, honestly there's rarely a day in my life where there's not something that troubles me. Amen. That's why I thank God that I don't believe that this is a commandment. That's not what I think Jesus is doing. I don't think it's a shake the finger and wag a finger and you guys aren't very good disciples. Y'all sure aren't very good followers of me. Don't you be troubled now. You ever had a little one come into your room at night, you you know, you're in bed asleep, and there's a storm outside and it wakes the little one up and they come running in their room crying and they're scared you know there's a monster in the closet there's a boogeyman outside my window you know scared of the dark scared of the storm something like that now they come running to you just scared out of their mind now what do we always say to them don't be afraid That's all right. has that ever worked by the way no. you ever had a little one go You know what, Daddy? Thank you very much. I hadn't thought about it like that. There really is no boogie man. What in the world was I scared of? I'll go get back in bed. I'll see you in the morning. They're getting in bed with you. (laughs) Yeah, they want in bed with you. See, when we we tell a child, don't be afraid, we're not giving them a commandment. It's not an order. Now, don't you be afraid. What we're actually doing is we're offering them a comfort. comfort. Encouragement. There's no reason to be afraid because I'm here. It's okay. I'm right here. Nobody can get you. Nobody can hurt you. I'm here with you. Let not your heart be troubled is not a command. It's a comfort. He's saying, I know that you are troubled at the news of what's going to happen to me. The idea that I'm going to go away. The idea that I'm going to die. Our hub, now think about it. Peter said to him on one occasion, Lord, we have left everything for you. Jobs, homes, family, friends, lifestyle, everything. Walked away and we trust you that you're going to take care of us. And now I find out you're not going to be here anymore. What am I supposed to do? Jesus says, it's okay. It's okay. Don't be troubled. Now, he doesn't just say this and then walk away. He says this and then he walks them through their past, their history, what they've already experienced to remind them of why they don't have to be troubled in this present situation, this present distress. And so he says, hey, you believe in God. He's not asking, do you believe in God? He's, he's I know you, you believe in God. Now, when he says you believe in God, think about everything that comes with that. All of the baggage that comes with it. You believe in God. You believe in the God who looked upon his people who were troubled at the Red Sea. There's this body of water in front of them that they can't cross and right behind them there is an army that is coming down on them with the intention of slaughtering them on the seashore. Now you won't talk about a reason to be troubled. They had it. And they're crying out. They're pleading. And Moses says to them be still hush (laughs) and see the salvation of the Lord. Calm down watch what God is going to do. Parts the Red Sea, cross their own dry land. Waters crash down on the Egyptians. God his people. So when Jesus says, you believe in God, he's saying you know the God who spared our ancestors at the Red Sea? That's the God that you believe in. The God that can part the oceans. You believe in that God. then they got out into the wilderness. You talk about how their memories were short. Our memories are short. Exodus chapter 14, you have the crossing of the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 15, you have the first song in the Bible. It's a song of Moses where they sing this worship song praising God for having delivered them. And then the very next story in the Bible Is they're out in the wilderness, freshly delivered, freshly saved. These people just witness the parting of the Red Sea. And you know what trips them up? What are we gonna eat for lunch? What's for dinner? What are we gonna eat? Moses great. We're not slaves anymore. They're not throwing our babies in the river anymore. But now we're out here in the wilderness. We're going to starve to death. Some of them are like, we should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had food in Egypt. Yeah, they beat you to death. They worked you to death. And they threw your babies in the river. But hey, at least you had something to eat. What does Moses tell them? Go outside in the morning. Look on the ground. You're going to see something there. Pick it up and eat it. It'll be there every day, except for Saturday. On the seventh day, it won't be there. So on Friday, you need to get enough for two days. And then Sunday it'll be back again. That's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We call it manna. If you're using, you know, you read the Bible, it says that there was manna. But the funny thing about you, do you know what the word manna means? I love, it. I love this. The word manna in Hebrew literally means, what is it? That's what the word means. What is it? Because when they walked out and they saw it, they said, what that? "What's that?" <laughs> and so that it's manna. That's what it is. What's that? That's what they call it. It's, I always think of the candy bar. What you gonna call it when what I say you that? You know? know, like what is this? What you gonna call it? Well, that's what it is. We'll call it that. <laughs> it's manna from heaven. And the whole time they were in the wilderness, God fed them. Then they get thirsty. They forgot about the manna. They forgot about the Red Sea. They paid no attention, apparently, to the cloud that went with them during the day and the pillar of fire that protected them at night. Mm-hmm. What are we going to drink? We can, you brought us out here. We don't have anything to drink and we're going to die. There's a couple of stories. One where Moses puts a bush into the <coughs> waters that are not fit for drinking and it purifies them. On another occasion, Moses strikes a rock and water flows out from the rock but the point is every time they were in a situation where they were distressed where they were troubled where they had a problem that was bigger than them something they couldn't solve they couldn't fix they couldn't get away from something that is staring them down god always brought them through it god always provided or god always protected god always came through for his people So when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God. He's saying, remember what you know about the God that you trust in. You have thousands of years of history of God always providing for his people. Something that might be good for us to think about tonight because we're really not any different than these folks. It's easy for me to shake my head and wag my finger and judge them. You know, I can't believe. How could they cross the Red Sea and witness that miracle and then worry about how they were going to eat? How could God provide them miraculous food and then worry about what they're going to drink? How could they forget? They just saw it. How could they forget it? And then I think about everything that has ever troubled me in my life. God has brought me through it. So the next time something troubles me, why do I have such a tendency to forget all of that other stuff that he's already brought me through? That's why Jesus said in the boat, why do you doubt? Where's your faith? This is not your first time to be in a situation that distresses you, that is scary. That is difficult, that is painful. This isn't the first time you faced something hard. You faced many things throughout your life, and I've always been there and I've always delivered you. And the fact that you're here right now, even able to be troubled about this present distress, is proof that I brought you through all the previous ones. So, what do you think will happen here? When Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, he's not commanding them. He's trying to comfort them and saying, you trust in a God who has delivered you through every trial that you've ever faced. And I bet you, if you sat down for a minute and thought about it, there are some moments in your life that you were so afraid, you were so sad, was so hurt that you felt like you were going to die. But you didn't. You're still standing. You're still here. Yeah, everybody took some high. (laughs) My lesson scholars. Do you know there's a value <clears throat> in that? Because chances are you come in contact with people all the time who are there right now. They don't know if they're going to be able to make it. They don't see how they can survive it, endure it, get through it. Maybe, just maybe, if you have experienced something the same, It might be someone that you love dearly that you lost too soon. It might be some tragic sickness, injury that you have experienced that you had to go through surgery. You had to go through rehab. You had to go through chemo. You had to go through radiation. You had to go through months in the hospital. You had to go through... But you made it. It might be that somebody you thought would always be there walked out of your life. It might have been somebody that you loved so much that you saw them hurting so much that you would have given anything if you could have swapped places with them. And you encounter people all the time, that that's where they are right now. And maybe, just maybe, you can be that beacon of hope to them. They may not know Jesus. I don't know how people get through some of the things that they face in life if they don't know that they have. You know, you believe in God, Jesus says, believe also in me because I am God in the flesh. I meet people all the time that are in these dire situations that they don't know Jesus. I know how I got where I am. I know how I made it through. I don't know how they're going to make it through but maybe, just maybe, The reason why I sometimes experience troubles as a follower of Jesus is so that I can be a beacon of hope for someone who is experiencing the same kinds of troubles who doesn't yet know Jesus. Hey, I've been there, buddy. I've I've, I've been at the jail on Christmas Day. I've been in the chemo ward on the holiday where everybody else is at home sitting around the table eating. We're eating Hospital food, you know. Let me tell you how we got through it. I spent that time praying and reading the words of Jesus. You never know that might be the light that gets in to a heart that is darkened because it doesn't know Jesus. So rather than being troubled, what if we used our troubles as a means of building something new? What if we took what the world saw was trash? Just a broken life, pieces and pain and sadness and suffering. And what if we took that and we allowed? y'all know what a mosaic is? Y'all ever seen a mosaic? It's where they, people take broken pieces of glass or pottery or, or things like that. And they take all those little broken pieces. But they arrange them together to make a picture of something else. Now, if you get up close, it just looks like a broken piece of glass. But if you step way back here and you look at it, it might look like an ocean scene with a, with a sunrise on it. Or it might look like you know, a picture of, a, of a, a waterfall or something like that. Jesus can take all of those broken pieces of pain and sadness and shame and suffering and all of the things... That we've been through, the trouble that we've experienced, and the trouble that we may have caused. Because don't forget, we may have been the source of somebody else's troubles. Jesus can take all that brokenness and put it together in such a way that it makes something new. Sometimes that's the thing that somebody who doesn't know Jesus will see. There's a lot of people that will never come and visit our services if we invite them. Let's see, here's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus doesn't, he didn't come to earth and go sit in the temple and say, wait, y'all, I'm here. If you want to get your life together, I'll I'll be here all day. All day, every day, just, you know where to find me. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, as we move through a world, and let's just be honest, there's a lot of trouble in our world. A lot of troubles. It amazes me that I'm, I'm one of these people that talks to strangers at gas pumps and checkout lines and stuff, you know, and things like that. And it has amazed me the things that people will tell you. A total stranger just because you spoke to them but you know that tells me something those people are dying for somebody to listen to their troubles They they just want somebody to hear, to see, to notice, to acknowledge maybe they don't have anybody like that in their world and maybe just maybe we can let the light of Jesus shine through us in such a way, well let me just quote him that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven Amen. people don't have to come to church to know Jesus, Jesus said church, go to them go to where the hurting are bring Jesus to where they are they can meet him there just as well as they can here most of the people I know and through the years who wind up here there's one of two ways they wind up here they were either born here I mean, born in church has always taken there their whole life or they came here from somebody that they knew who was a follower of Jesus that they met out there. That's how most of the people... It's, it's very, very rare that you just go invite somebody to church, they come, they hear a sermon, it turns their whole world upside down. Now, it happens. I'm not saying it don't happen, but it's rare. Most of the time, the work is done out there. Just being a good neighbor... Just being a friend at work. Just being someone who will take the time to listen. help him, nobody else does. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. And if that wasn't true, I would have told you. If that wasn't true, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yes, I'm going away, but I'm going away for a reason. I'm going away... To prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. Doesn't it make sense? I will come again. And receive you unto myself. That where I am. There you may be also. And at this point one of them entered up and said Lord. We don't even know where you're going. How in the world are we supposed to know the way to get there? That's what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says, look, you don't have to know the way. You just have to know me. I'm the way. Every now and then I need to be reminded of this. I have been a Christian now for 34 years. Yeah, 34 years this year. Sometimes I'm just like them knuckleheads on the other side of the Red Sea who are hungry and forget that God just parted an ocean to save me. And I think that he's not going to remember that I need something to eat. Sometimes I'm just like those guys in the boat who see Jesus asleep and think, you've forgotten about me. I'm in the middle of a storm and I'm going to die. And you just turned your back on me. One of my favorite quotes I've ever heard says that sometimes, sometimes God calms the storms that are raging in the lives of His children. And sometimes God lets the storms rage and He calms His children. God has never promised that there will not be any suffering, pain, hardship, trials, storms in life. In fact, Jesus literally said, in this world, you will have trouble. I made that clear. Don't think, and that's one of the biggest mistakes I've seen young Christians mm-hmm. make, is thinking, if I start going to church, reading my Bible, praying, get baptized, do right, then all of a sudden, all the problems in my world are going to disappear. And that's just simply not the way it works. What you're talking about is heaven. You're not talking about earth. You're talk, you talking—you just described Heaven you didn't describe life on earth in this world you will have troubles whether or not god calms those troubles or whether or not god calms me i'll get through it and you know you know the best part of it the absolute best part of it for most of us when we think about worst case scenario we usually go to death that's like for in our mind that's the worst case scenario like something bad happens we think you know You know, I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm afraid they're going to die. that's, That's the worst case scenario. But Jesus even takes that away. Jesus did die the next day. He didn't say, let not your heart be troubled. Everything's going to be all right tomorrow. No, he didn't. I'm still going to die tomorrow. And you're still going to spend the next three days in darkness and pain and sadness and shame and fear and grief and all that. Every bit of that still happens. But Sunday came around. And the one who died killed death. Amen. Yeah. Why did Jesus have to die? I want you to think about think about death like a like a big old sea monster or something. Jesus let death swallow him so that he could destroy it from the inside so that you and I no longer have to be even the way We don't even have to be troubled by death. Now that's not to say that we're not gonna be sad, that we're not gonna grieve when people die. Of course we will, anytime we're not with people. Listen, somebody doesn't have to die for people to grieve. Have you, have you ever seen a mama who takes her baby and drops them off at kindergarten the first day? <laughs> Everyone one of, I, felt, I thought before I just did go to the elementary school to stand on the sidewalk handing out tissues, you know. They, they, they're they're going to see them in four hours. It's not like they're gone. You know, They didn't just ship them off to war. They're, they're be, they'll be back in four. They'll be home in four hours. You see, separation makes us sad. But we don't have to be troubled trouble with death. Because Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life those who believe in me, even though they were dead, they will live again. So death is just a separation. It's not the end. I don't know what might be troubling you right now, if anything. But if it is, I hope that you can find comfort tonight in remembering that everything that has troubled you up to this point, he's brought you through it. He didn't always solve the problem. That's not... The case. Sometimes whatever it was that you feared happened. But it didn't kill you. You're still here. And even if something does eventually take you, that's okay too. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus turns funerals into celebrations. And so even if this is the end, like Paul said, we talked about yesterday fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, but not for me only, but for all them who love his appearance. Does that describe you tonight? If not, it can very easily. A commitment to follow Jesus that leads in a way of change in life burial and baptism or maybe just as a, a Christian being reminded you don't have to be afraid he's here but if we can help you in some way and be reassured let us know stand in amen